Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, we're excited to have a woman whose comedy career took off after appearing on The Tonight Show, The Howard Stern Show, and The Comedy Central Roast. Her career has spanned more than 30 years, but she became a household name when she raised money for the gay men's health crisis on Celebrity Apprentice. After many tours, Grammy nominations, and TV appearances, she made headlines in 2012 when she lost more than 100 pounds through bariatric surgery. This big change brought about her retirement from stand-up comedy, and after completing a difficult life coaching certification program, she's now dedicated to running life-changing food and body image workshops. So, let's rewind to the beginning and find out how she went from insult comic to inspirational life coach as we say it forward with Lisa Lampanelli. Let's talk at the beginning. So, where are you from? Uh, Trumbull, Connecticut. My mother still lives there. Same house. Do you remember when you were growing up there? Did you have like an idyllic life when you were growing up? Is it, no, is it no. a nice little – Oh, yeah, adorable. Like and I – I mean it wasn't fancy or rich or anything. But um, we had enough money for us to go to Catholic school. We had enough money to, you know, have decent Christmas gifts. You know, we – I didn't meet my first person of a different ethnicity till I was in – way into high school because – Back then, I'm 57 years old. Back then, you didn't have a lot of interracial things going on. I met my first Jew in college at (laughs) Syracuse. So you lived in this white Anglo-Saxon Protestant? No, not Anglo-Saxon. It was more sort of like Italians. Italian. So a lot of Catholicism, a lot lot of crosses on the walls. Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah, good luck with the cross on the wall. Uh, (laughs) And it was interesting because my mother was, you know, the food addict, the food pusher, the rageaholic. My dad was the kind of humble, quiet one. So I have such weird like ideas of genders that I'm like, I don't even know what I am. Like, I'm not one of these people who's now like, I'm trans, I'm binary. I'm this. I'm like, I think I'm just a chick who doesn't know what the hell they are yet. Well, you know? So and the older you get, the more you know what you don't know. So yeah. You know, just, yeah. You know, we know nothing. Oh, nothing at all. Nothing. Are you an only child? Uh, no, no, no. Middle, which probably explains why I went into entertainment because God forbid I didn't have all the attention every second. And uh, I have an older sister who's great. She's a teacher of special needs kids. And my brother uh, works at ESPN. Wow. Yeah, and I'm lucky Being enough I got Being a special eight. needs teacher, it takes a person of a special character to be able to do that. That's I really mean, hard and sad. And Yeah, she's really cool. My sister for years has been the one I admired out of all my friends because she was always vulnerable. She'd always be the one who'd cry, who'd like be like tell us her feelings. And of course, as a comic back then, I'd like make fun of it and be like, oh, she's a cry- Nancy's crying again. And then I'm like, oh, kind of wish I was more like that. So I have been trying to be more vulnerable lately and say, oh, that's a gift, not something that needs to be covered up. What you just said is a very loaded statement. Mm. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, creating facades around ourselves yeah. for reasons that, you know, are not necessarily discernible when we do it. But over time, you figure that out. Yeah. I had that problem for sure. I mean, I walked around like, oh, nothing's ever bothering right. me. And then one right. day I went, you know what? I'm not okay with that. Yeah. But it takes a, it takes a lot of maturing. Yeah. And a lot of deep thinking to be able to say, I'm okay being vulnerable. I can tell you what I want. Right. And um, right. you also have to feel reasonably good about yourself in order to make those statements. Well, I've been working on myself in, in therapy for about 30-something years. And it's taken this long to even be able to go, oh, hey, I admire you for showing your feelings or not laughing at somebody if they do show emotion. Because the fact is like, the comic persona is such a shell and such a like, hey, you can't penetrate this, especially an insult comic. It's like, I'll get you before you get me. Now that I'm not doing that anymore and not trying to not be jokey off stage, it's like, wow, people get closer to you. They Were you it always funny? Um, I wasn't class clown funny, but I think I was funny. 
And I think I was the one who could distract my mom a lot with humor and (laughs) she was okay with it. So I kind of knew I had a little something. Mm -hmm. When I hit 30, I was like, okay, I can finally get up the nerve to try this because, you know, that's a really risky thing to go on stage and talk for five minutes. What was that experience like the first time you did it? Do you remember? Oh, it was awesome because I was smart enough to take a little stand-up comedy class from this guy named Michael Jackson. Now, this was a different Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. This one was black. So this was a, <laughs> <And> this, <laughs> he was a great guy, stand-up comic in New Haven, Connecticut, and he taught us to talk about things we were passionate about, loves and hates, this and that. So I loved this guy, and he set it up for us to do this um, open mic as part of the first – as part of our class. And I'm telling you, I say all the time, I said, it was where I felt most at home. It reminded me of the first time I'd eaten Betty Crocker chocolate frosting right out of the can. Oh, my God, the best. Yeah. And it was like, okay, this and food is love. So for 31 years, I thankfully rode that roller coaster and it kept going up, up, up with comedy until it was like, oh, this isn't as much fun anymore. So... Let me see what else there is out there. But the serendipity of doing that, I mean, what brought you to his class in the first place? This was wild. I went to Syracuse University for journalism, graduated 83, worked at these heavy metal magazines and also at Rolling Stone, at Spy Magazine, at newspapers till I was about 30. And remember, my nephew, my first nephew was born. I have eight nieces and nephews. My first nephew, Blaze, who happens to live in LA, he's a PA, he was born and I was driving up to see him from New York City where I lived. So it was like two hours away, up and way up in Connecticut. And I was like in kind of some kind of despair because I'm like, well, I don't love what I'm doing anymore. What am I going to do with my life? And I heard an ad on the radio for these this company called Rent-A-DJ. And I said, oh, I bet if I was a DJ for parties, I bet I could get used to talking on the mic. And then I could be like, oh, maybe go into comedy because I've always sort of wanted to try it at least once. So I always say that my nephew Blaze got me into comedy because I was in such despair about what I was doing for a living that I go, if I hadn't been driving and heard that ad, I would have never gone into comedy. So I'm a rented DJ for a little while. I'm doing great. And I come across an ad for a comedy class taught by that guy, Michael Jackson, that I mentioned and just ran with it. And I go... I'm going to ride this thing. And if it goes well, great. If not, I'll figure out what else to do. This is complete serendipity, right? Don't you find that so interesting how things crossed your path? Yeah, I really – that's the thing. I always go, this was just meant to be the way it all unfolded. Did you ever see the movie Sliding Doors? I did not, but I quote it constantly. I always quote things I never see or read. But I know for a fact you always end up where you're going to end up 100%. anyway. 100%. You should see Definitely. the film. A client of mine and a friend of mine made it. Nigel Sinclair made it. Mm. It's one of the most the, – the film had more of an impact on me than mm. I could have ever really realized. Wow. When I met – I was 19 when I met my husband. Mm-hmm. He happened to show up at a place that I was working at. Then I wasn't going to go and then he showed up and then we met and we had sex, you know, nine, seven, 97 seconds later. Yep, yep. Maybe, maybe as it is, yep. Um, we've been together ever since. But, if, you know, if those things hadn't happened. It happens with everybody. You know, you mm-hmm. have a decision that you go to the right or you go to the left. Right, and right. And if you're perceptive enough or you are um, – I don't know what the right way to say it is. But if you're ready to embrace the opportunity mm-hmm. and say, hmm. I'm going to give that a shot. Yeah. And to be willing to fail because you don't know whether you're going to be successful at it. Sure. You just are willing to give it a shot and hope that you're going to be successful at it. Yeah. I think the whole thing is to just be open. The thing is people think they have to force it. It's like I was just open at the time and with now with life coaching and doing the podcast and doing um, sort of workshops on food and body image and things like that. I'm like I'm just being open enough to see what sparks versus going, I need to do that. Oh my God, let me force that. Let me force that. It's still hard work. You're not open and it doesn't just fall into your lap, but you stay open to ideas. So it all seems to work out for the best, but it's using that discernment and judgment that's in our best interest. You know, going, if somebody came up to me now and said, you want to be on a sitcom, tapes in LA four days a week for the next six months, I'd be like, it's not in my highest good to do that because it doesn't get me what I want out of life, which is peace. I love that expression. Your highest good. Yeah. I love that. I know. Isn't it great? Yeah. A high, I think a, a shrink of mine said that once and I go, oh, I get that. 
I'm going to use that. I like that because yeah. you're right. And you get to a certain point in your life too when you're the age that we are that you want to spend the rest of your days doing your highest good. Yeah. That's a really powerful – I love that. That's a really powerful – I'm going to keep that. Please do. <laughs> it's it was, so interesting. Because we often pick from what our – you know, what we think we're supposed to want versus what we really want. You know, like when I, I grew up not ever wanting kids but not ever not wanting kids. So it wasn't like, oh, I hate kids. It never occurred to me. So it wasn't in my highest good. I would have thought of it if it was in my highest right. good, you know? Right. So now what's in my highest good, it really seems like is kind of working a minimal amount, doing the podcast, doing my storytelling shows, hanging out with my mom while I still have her, doing Is a your little... dad alive? No, unfortunately. But my mom's still around. She's still pretty – I mean her her mind is super active. But, you know, she will, she'll go to bingo. She will play cards, this, that, dinner. And I'm like, it's. I'm supposed to do that right now, right? So but I it's just very like perceptive yeah. of you to be able to know that that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. A lot of us tell ourselves. I'm a little bit guilty of it. We tell ourselves stories about what we should be doing, mm. as opposed to what we want to be doing. No. You know, we have to figure that out. Right. You have to be open to knowing that it's okay if you say no to that. Yeah. You know? And it's also okay to say yes to that. Right. You know, it's well, a, it's tricky. Well, I think a lot of it is going, what am I trying to prove? So I now look at it like, okay, am I trying to prove something to myself? That's fine. If I'm trying to prove it to anybody else, that's not fine. So for instance, the other day I came across when I was doing some coaching thing or another, I go, ooh, I really need a TED Talk. I need need to do a TED Talk. And then I'm like, why? I ask myself why and I go, not for me. It's probably to prove that I'm worthy to someone else. Don't need to do it then. And I said to myself, that's why I've always used paper plates with company. It always looks great. <laughs> it always is matching. I go use good china for yourself, paper plates for your company because I don't have to prove anything to these people who love me. Right. So a TED Talk, if it were to fall into my lap – or if it's something that a message that I could not help but say this will impact the world and people who need to work on this particular thing, then it'll happen. But the whole thing of like if it's to prove something to my – anybody but me, then it's not right for me right now. I would use a different word than prove. I would use the word share. Share – when it becomes share, that's when to do it. Yeah, because for that's you, I mean somebody with your intellect – and your warmth mm -hmm. and your experiences, to be able to share those mm -hmm. and to, to speak to people that would gain, you know, insight from, from what you're sharing, I think would be powerful. Right, right. I really do. I mean, I, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, it never fails to amaze me the differences between men and women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> men aren't envious of each other. Yeah. They're not mean to each other. They compete with each other and they want what they want, but there's no backstabbing in the world of men that I've ever experienced. I have a team of 12 people, only one woman. Mm. Everybody else is a guy and I watch the way – and I'm the boss. Right. So I watch the way the guys interact with each other and there's none of that. When I see women in the workplace, as I haven't always been a banker, and when I had my other career and I used to be a buyer, mm -hmm. they were so nasty to each other. But you know what's weird? I don't think I've experienced that because I'm in such a – I was in such a man's world with comedy. There were so few women comics that like I didn't find any of them mean to me. But I found so many male comics mean to me because I had such a uh, bold style. I did comedy like a guy. So I almost was viewed as a guy. Right. So thank goodness I never had – and my manager's a woman. Some of my agents have been women. And I'm like, wow, isn't it weird like – I found much more trouble with the guys. It's interesting. Right? It's just, that's the nature of your industry. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I think now with the life coaching and with spirituality and stuff, I find just putting a toe in, I've been embraced super uh, strongly by male spiritual people. I haven't really sought out female people yet, like female um, spirituality leaders to like to do podcasts with them or things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll see how that unfolds. Hopefully they'll take a high road too and embrace, you know. So now you go, you do your first stand-up yep. and you liked it. 
and yeah. people laughed and they were you were good at it. Oh, I liked it so much I called in sick to my day job the next day. <laughs> I thought I was a big shot. And then I started plotting how to get laid off so that I could get unemployment. Collect unemployment while, while trying yeah. to be a comic. Yeah, and I did. I was lucky enough to get laid off. Then I just was like full steam ahead. But again, when I look back on that, it was like, what? I mean, yeah, it was good and I knew I could do it. But it was always like achieve, 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 fill the hole, fill the hole, fill the hole with something because there was that hole inside. So I would always sort of use comedy relationships with men and food to fill the hole. And I'm like, wow, nothing's really doing it for me. Like it's fine, but nothing's really lasting. Nothing keeps me happy or keeps me joyful until, you know, 25 years later when my dad gets sick and I go, oh, that fills the hole. Service. That fills the whole me helping someone else. So that's, I think, how this all evolved to be like, no more stand up. Let's share and let's tell stories and let's do other things that will help somebody someday or even right now. Have you seen the TV show Crashing with Pete no. Holmes? Mm -mm. A lot of comics don't watch anything with comedy because it feels like homework. A lot of TV shows and movies make stand up appear very easy. Yeah, no, they did in this particular case. Mm -hmm. uh, it may look what I consider to be what it's really like. Oh, I bet it is hard. But at going the time, from I one think one place to the next place to the next place. I think I lived it, so it's like I right. Can all, I was just it curious, feels yeah. like homework because it's interesting. I a friend of mine has a huge podcast, um, forty five million downloads, and I asked her if she listens to podcasts, and she's like, "No, it feels like homework." I'm like, "Dude, that's how I was with comedy too." <laughs> but I bet that'll wear off, and I'll want to look and watch things like that. So here we are. You've gone along. You did this for yeah, as a, what, 20? 31 years. 30, 31 years. Yeah. Wow. And made a tremendous living mm -hmm. and had a great career. Yeah. So at what point in time did you say, this isn't, you know, I'm not getting my jollies doing this anymore? Well, I um, just became a noticer, meaning there isn't any lightning bolt. There isn't any miracle. There isn't any um, aha moment because I don't believe in them. It's sort of a cumulative thing of noticing over – about a year, like, huh, I've been looking at my calendar and going, ugh, oh, God, I got to go there. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And it wasn't even the place. Even if it was the city, a city I loved, the only joy I would get was, oh, I can have dinner with my niece who lives there or I can have, you know, a meal with those friends. Right after I get through the job I have to do, <sighs> and then I like, can go have fun doing having dinner with my niece. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'd look at my watch obligation. and go, oh, my God, and be five of eight. And I'd be like, oh, it'll be fine. But whoever wants to look at what they do and go, it'll be fine. Yeah. Like now I look forward to stuff. But again, I didn't have to wait till I was miserable. It was like, eh. And I always say, you know, I quit things before I hate them because then you don't bring the hate into the job or the relationship. So I've gotten out of marriages before I hated the person because it's just like how ridiculous. If you see the signs that it's not meant to be, let's end this with honor. I just ended a friendship. And we don't hate each other, but we're like, eh, it's not working out anymore. It's not meant to be. So with comedy, I was like, yeah, this isn't right for me. So I met with my business manager. He said the greatest sentence I've ever had said to me. I said, because I'm a saver, because I was brought up by a Depression era parents. I said to him, Leo, can I just do nothing? Can I just like sit at home, please? I need a break. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, he goes, you'd never have to earn any money again. And I go, well, can I live in this house? And he goes, oh, yeah, if you only live 15 more years. <laughs> <laughs> so I left. And I go, you know what? That's not enough to keep me in it. I go, I don't love the house more than I love my days. Right. So I said, ah, if I have to give up the house, I give up the house. Right. But then it's funny how this other thing then did come in. Certainly, it'll never be the living comedy was or it isn't obviously now. But I go, well, every day I look at that calendar and don't hate it. Right. So I think it's really big. good to notice. That's big. Yeah. That's big. I literally was like, what's the worst that can happen? I'll have to move in with my mother. So what? Right. You know, she's a pain in the ass. She turns the TV on too loud because it's on that stupid closed caption. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I'm lucky that I have right. that. Yeah. If that's the worst thing that happens, you're f so much better than most people. Well, and what's great is you can take the ego hit because once you take the ego out of everything, like – if I had to tell people I live with my mother because I couldn't afford to be on my own, I don't care. Honestly, like this week I'm staying in an Airbnb, not because I have to, because I'm like, 
how stupid to throw money away at the peninsula, even though I love the peninsula. That's yeah. my hotel. Nice towels. Well, let me tell you something. Nice everything. I have yeah. so many robes from there with my name on it, <laughs> pillowcases. They make up for my dog a pillow with his name on every time. I'm like, oh, my own. But I say – it's a good thing to not have ego about those things, about where you're staying, the clothes you're wearing, Smart. the jewelry. I sold all that crap. I said, yes, it's good to have nice things. That's great for everybody. For me, it was driven by filling the hole. Yeah. Get rid of it. And then you go, oh, all right, cool. My pants cost $10. What do I care? <laughs> you know, I'm cute. <laughs> I understand. I completely agree with you. I mean, I find myself going, yeah, I don't really want to do that anymore. Right? You know, and then, but it takes... You have to really think it through, yeah. like what you did when you went to see your business partner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And say, I would have never quit. you don't want to be poor. And it's okay not being – making a bunch of money and having to live with your mom, but you don't want to be poor. No. I mean you have to be responsible, you certainly. You have to be responsible. And I was lucky enough to be responsible from age 30 on where I was just – that money was getting socked in the bank. I remember years ago, I did my first roast ever. And of course, it's the first TV appearance. You have to dress decently. I had to go to Bloomingdale's and get a nice outfit. You know, you have to wear the long dress. <laughs> did you get your hair done? <laughs> yeah, I did. I got a blowout. Yeah, I had to get a blow dry. And I said, oh my God, my my dress is $1,500, which I'm sure by these standards today isn't much, but it was back then. Sure it is. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? Okay, I take the 1500 out of savings and then I wrote in my calendar how much I had to put back in every week to make it up to myself. Right. So I go, isn't it funny? Just being responsible with money really helped because <laughs> now I didn't have to stay it in does. something. I'm, I don't have golden handcuffs. I don't believe in them. I know, Pete. In my business as a banker, I've had so many conversations with people going, what are you doing? I know. You know, you're making this kind of money. You can't spend that kind of money and more. Yeah. What are you doing? That's got to be you know? frustrating for someone it's, like you. You know, they, some people just feel like, what the fuck? You know, they're just going to keep spending money because that's what they want to do. I I'm mean, exactly like you. Every time I would get a dollar, with almost no exception, mm -hmm. 50 cents of it went into the bank. I love it. And then I would live on the other 50 cents of it. And, you know, as I made more and more money, I'm still the same. My great fear, I've said this a million thousand times, I don't want to be old and poor. Oh, I horrible. really don't want to be old and yeah. poor. Yeah. And to me, and I see people who are old and poor, and it's horrible. Yeah. And, you feel, and I, my heart, I go by them. I see them. They're old and poor. I, I walk around giving money to people that I feel like they need a little bit of a hand. But right. being old and poor, no. and being old and poor in New York where it's cold. Well, the one thing about – I always said what the greatest place to retire is New York City if you can afford it because you could get everything delivered. So <laughs> if you need medical supplies, if you need the home health, whatever you need, it's coming yeah. to your house. When I see people who are of any level like that, I almost go, but that's their journey. Like they needed to f experience that for some reason. Well, they that needed gets to back learn. to your spirituality, right? That's yeah. what your that's the way your perception because of your spirituality you go. That's their journey. And you're right about that. Yeah, like we I can't agree save with them you completely. You know, right. we all start off you know, and whatever, however we start off, you know, good relations, bad relations, you know, good parents, bad parents, good siblings, bad siblings. We all kind of start off the same. But at some point in time, your journey kicks in. Mm. And and I, how many people do you know that were ha walking along having great lives, good lives, okay lives, and all of a sudden they're fat, they're miserable, they haven't got a nice thing to say about anything, like they're mm. so grumpy and they're just we're going out their years being miserable. Right. Like what's the point of that? Yeah, the thing is you have to start to recognize why you're contributing to that and how you're not the victim in it. The victim That's, mentality that requires is hard. being thoughtful and looking at yourself. Right. How many people do you know that know how to do that well? Well, luckily my friends, I've had to cut off a bunch of friends because it is a victim mentality. I find that difficult. Yeah. But most of my friends now, I'm like, oh, they get that even if they've had multiple car accidents or they're you know disabled or whatever, that I'm not a victim. And it's not just in the head. They could say it from the inside. So that's where it counts. Yeah. You know, we all have our days where we're like, wow, well, poor me. Yeah. And then you go, okay, that's the story I'm right. telling myself. My pity party's over. Let's move on. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's move on. But it's funny with the money. I remember, um, you know, because I was so, I still am. I'm more generous now with time. I used to be, I thought money was all I had to offer people. So 
I used to, oh my God, I'd fly people all over and they'd come, I, my brought nieces and nephews to the Grammys when I was nominated and this and that and just paying for suites at the Peninsula and hotels and Hamilton tickets and all this. And I don't regret a single dime. But then I go, okay, let's shift this slightly to I bet they still love me even if it's not the huge amounts. Let's see. They freaking love me still. But see, the risk you have to take is going, oh, maybe my time's okay too. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's the testament to what great kids they are or to what great siblings I have. That I'm like, oh, it wasn't that they let me hang out because I was flying them places. That was all me. Yeah. They wanted to be with you. Yeah. And it's so, but it's that weird low self-esteem that keeps us in unworthiness going. But but I had to like check it out before I could be secure about it. It must have been a little scary when you made the decision to do that. Yeah. Because I had a life coach say to me, she goes, what do you have to offer other than money? And I was like, oh my God. Wow. What do you have to offer other than money? Yeah. She goes, your problem is you don't feel you have anything. And I'm like, oh my God, I really do. Because really we do. Over what period? How long did it take you to get comfortable with that decision? That's been like a couple of years now. So you had to work through that. Yeah. And I'm still generous, but it's not crazy anymore. Right. It's not where like, oh my God, if I don't, you know, spend this amount, they're going to be like, what happened to her? Nobody's right. coming after me for money. I was so lucky that everybody in my family is works hard and they have uh, their own livings. So it was never like the one rich aunt and everybody else is broke and I have to support them. It was just like gifts are my choice. And now I had to get comfortable going, oh, my presence is enough. Right. How uh, how would I ever think that? Right. You know, it's tricky. I mean, there's, what you're talking about, so many people suffer from that. They think that people want to be around them because, yeah, you know, and then the, the truth of the matter is, is that in most cases, they just want to be around you because they want to be around you. Because we know for our fact, for us, we want to be around people because of their right. spirit. Yeah. It's never yeah. the material stuff. That's 100% of the truth. I mean, in my case, I have four children mm-hmm. and they all live here and my husband and I see them all the time. Mm. And I look, you know, those are the things I look forward to. And I have a close knit group of friends that I hang around with. Uh, The one thing I don't like to do, and I find myself becoming less okay with it, I don't want to spend time with you if I don't like you. Oh my God, that's such a great statement because it sounds so obvious, but we do it. Everybody doesn't. I love that statement because I remember somebody, Instagram drives me a little crazy when it gets all platitude ish and all sayings, but somebody, tweeted or Instagram or something that just said, stop hanging around people you don't like. Right. And how did we not think of that? I walk away going, I hated every minute of that. Why do you think we do it? Yeah. Now I I don't do it anymore. Right. What stopped you? I just said, I'm wasting my time. Yeah. I'm absolutely wasting my time. And my, my line that I use over and over again is that my road ahead is shorter than my road behind. Yeah. And since I know that factually, I'm going to choose to spend my time doing what I want to do. Yeah. And my, the one thing I'm, I will not allow, though, is I won't do what I want to do if it hurts somebody else. Well, of course, yeah. I just say, you know what, I really want to do that, but that person really doesn't want to do that. And so right. I'm either going to do it another time by myself or I'm going to just not do it at all. Well, and also sometimes with me, I used to have the thing where we're either bosom buddies who hang out all the time. Or we don't even <clears throat> have a relationship at all. And then I was like, wait a minute, acquaintances aren't a bad thing. I get to have a tennis friend right. or a, a coffee <clears throat> friend. A but isn't it funny? I use like all or nothing, black or white. Yeah. I have one friend I literally can see her once every three weeks. If it's one second before that, I will murder her. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, then there's another friend I see once a week. I go, well, this is fantastic. My best friend of 32 years, I talk to at least once a day. Oh, okay. But that's okay. Right. I used to think it was you're either like every single day or nothing. That's so so short-sighted of me. You know what it is? Meeting people where they are. My mother used to say youth is wasted on the young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Ain't it the truth? All the things that we learn along the way. And there was this constant need to be liked. You know, I always oh, wanted yeah. to be liked. And at some point in my life, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, I realized that I'm a likable person. 
So therefore, I don't need to be liked because people like you, like you, yeah. you exude warmth and yeah. niceness about you. So people would instinctively like you. Yeah. You know, and, and so, if they don't, and what's wild, don't you always think too, if they don't, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I'm it not, takes a I, while to get there. I used to yeah, wonder why people didn't like me. I was like, why don't you like me? Well, no, of course. I'm a really nice person. Why don't you like me? But I'm okay yeah. with that too. Now, if you don't like me, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, here's the thing. I used to say that about comedy. For the first seven years, it's like, oh my God, why don't they like me? The next seven years is like, if you, if you don't like me. And then the last, <laughs> the rest of it's like, oh, if you like me, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. But that was easier for me to conquer in comedy. In real life, it's like, oh, they don't like me. And it might sting a little and I could be sad. But I think the problem is, and I tell all my clients, problem is you're scared of the emotion. So just feel sad. Yeah. Like, you know, we think we'll start crying and never stop. We won't. No. We're not in clinical depression, most of us who, who I deal with. It's like, just feel the grief. Somebody doesn't like you. It's sad. It's, yeah. And then you go, well, okay. Then the next one comes up and you, you hope for the best. But it's hope and not expectation. That's what I like. I like still having hope but not expecting everyone right. to like us. Well, expecting is a... Oi, oi, oi. That's a word. I had never going to work. Yeah, it's a big word. Right. I'm not... Um, I, I, my my uh, disappointment when I expected something is always like... I'm surprised by it. I'm like, well, if you don't expect anything, you're never going to be disappointed. I agree. You know? So I used to literally... I remember when my first book came out, my only book came out, my, my amazing non-bestseller, Chocolate Please... <laughs> It comes out and I fully expect it. I don't know what was wrong with me. I fully expected it to be a bestseller. I just go, of course it is. Like, why right. wouldn't it? And then it wasn't. And I was shattered. And I remember being in a phone booth. I owned a house at Canyon Ranch in Tucson because, you know, God forbid you don't show off and buy a house on property. <laughs> so I was thinking that's filled the hole. So I'm calling my manager. Go, oh, what the f happened in this book? And they're going, you know, it's very rare to be a bestseller. I don't care. What did we do wrong? It must right. be somebody's fault. Why is yeah. Kathy Griffin's a bestseller? Right. And it was just crazy. Now, even now with like a podcast, I go, eh, it's on. The people who need to hear it will. Right. And That's it exactly took me right. so long to get to that. Right. But it takes a lot of heartbreak when you look at ticket sales or you look at my storytelling events. I'm like. Oh, the people who need to hear those stories, like you say, share the people who need to hear that will. They will. And you know what? The rest are fine. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've become a lot more comfortable with being direct. Mm. Um, and I, I, like you, I speak publicly regularly. I mm -hmm. talk to large groups of people. I used to be a little bit softer in my delivery. Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore. Right. You know, you didn't bring me here because you want me to give you some fancy pantsy story. Yeah. You want me to tell you the, the, the facts. Mm -hmm. And um, over the last 10 years, uh, almost without exception, every time I give some kind of a speech or a conversation, people come up afterwards and they go, well, that was direct. <laughs> Good. I'm like, yeah, how'd you like that? I love it. <laughs> you know, it takes some time to, to acquire that taste. But now I don't care at all. You either, right. if you don't want to hear what I have to say, I'm okay with that. That's all right. You know? Well, you know what I love? It's funny when you say it's so direct. I just had a caller. I, I had a part of my podcast. I have people call in who I coach and tell me what's wrong with me because I'm like, oh, yuck. I'm going to have to hear my flaws. But also, how else do you learn? How else do you grow? I had one guy calling. He's this little gay kid. Oh, my God. He's so great. He's like 21. And he goes, I go, OK, Mikey. So tell me, like, what, how could I improve as a coach? And he goes, well, because it's the cutest voice when we talk to each other that way. He goes, well, the one thing I could say was I felt you were holding back. <laughs> OK. I am so the person who doesn't hold back. So I go, really? Like, when? And he goes, like a couple times you almost said something that held back and I say, just let it fly because you know what? I call, I, I hired you for that style. So the people who hear you speak or me speak, it's like they want us to be who we That's are. Right. And then if Was we he right? get up Did there, you hold back? probably because in coaching school, you're kind of taught to like be the window and to just have them see it themselves. Listen, I think my clients would honestly rather me say to them, here's what I think. I have a hunch I might be wrong and tell them what I think's going on mm -hmm. versus them spending five times the amount to figure it out themselves. Right. I just got my clients to go by. Yes, if somebody wants to do all the work themselves and not hear any wisdom from me, that's fine. But with this guy, he's like, look, honey, don't even sugarcoat it. I'm like, you're right. So I like learning what I'm not doing right. But again, they hire us for our style. That's right. 
they knew with me it's going to be kind of no-nonsense. It's not quite tough love because I'm pretty gentle in coaching, but it's going to be no nonsense either. Let's, so let's talk about this. So you decided, you made a conscious decision to mm-hmm. say, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to do this now. Right. And this consists of a podcast that yeah. you are the host of. Yeah, I do a podcast new. called Let Lisa Help, Podcast One, which uh, is really good because I was looking for a way to coach people en masse um, through guests, through letters coming in, through my clients calling in. And sort of to put out there that, look, I'm still working on myself too. Right. Because I hate nothing more than a coach or a shrink who pretends to have it all figured out because no one does. So, but how, did, what was the impetus to, to stop doing what you were doing, which you weren't loving anymore? Mm-hmm. And where did the idea come from to talk about Let Lisa Help? I think what happened was I had taken and attended so many workshops, like self help things, and read so many self help books. That then when I'd be sitting around with the people in the workshops, sort of, you know, all of us just sort of brainstorming about what the leader had said, a lot of people kept saying, oh, my God, you should coach. Oh, my God, you should coach. I think I just absorbed so much from all the shrinks over the years and all the spirituality work that I had done on myself that I'm like, oh, let me look into coaching school and see if that's something that vibes with me. And every time I got on a coaching call, you know, our classroom, I take from Martha Beck, who's phenomenal. I go, oh, my God, I learned tools. Oh my God, I have so much uh, more insight into what I'm doing, and maybe that'll help people. What is so, coaching school? It's a nine month certification program, at least Martha Beck's is. Mm-hmm. And then there's another six months you take. You have to coach, I think, 70 hours of clients, which I have coached way more than that. Luckily, thank God for my reputation. People email me out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really have to kind of know a lot of tools to get people to you know, see the light and solve their issues that they're working on. So it does take a lot of effort. People could say they're a coach and go online and just download a certificate. I get it. It's fine. But I wanted to sort of really know I was helping somebody and had concrete tools for them. Did you create a, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? When you go into a class, create a plan, a, what's... Oh, in my workshops, I do a curriculum. Curriculum. Thank you. Just in workshops. Like for instance, I'm giving a food and body image workshop that's called Love Your Body, Feed Your Soul because I lost a hundred pounds. Yes, you did. Kept it off seven years. Which is an unbelievable experience. Oh my God. And even the fact of like still working on emotional eating and resilience and any issue around food and body. So I created this workshop And it literally is a curriculum of like day one, we do this. Day two, we do this. Day three, we have the closing and what our action plan for the exit. And I knew this was the universe telling me it was good. I created it. I had a coach in how to create a transformational workshop that transforms you know, body image and things like that versus an educational is workshop. Is this a physical location that people come to your workshops? Yeah, I have them all over the country. But the big one is, this is what I was going to say, the uh, the universe giving me the sign was that my dream was to have one at Kripalu, which is in the Berkshires, which is one of these really high end, it's not expensive, but it's a very sort of like the Gabby Bernsteins, Danny Shapiro, mm-hmm. all the big shots coach, sorry, Byron Katie. And I said, oh, I'm never going to get a workshop there because I'm not one of them. But, you know, I'm going to send them my 20-page proposal put together by me and my workshop co-presenter. And we, I don't know, by the grace of God, we got accepted in less than 24 hours. Part of it is I think that I had gone to Corpalo so much that they knew my name, plus the proposal was incredible. My workshop co-presenter, who's a yoga teacher, like knows how to put together a proposal. And I'm like, okay, that's a sign. You're not teaching at Kripalu within six months of you retiring from comedy if this isn't your path. Boy, oh boy, there's a lot of spirituality in this. I believe it's this. unbelievable and that you can recognize it when it's in your face and you go, oh, oh. yeah, because like the then light go, went on. Wow. Okay. So they book us for this November coming up, November 8th through 10th. I'm like, what an honor. And then it gives you the confidence. That's why I think confidence is you do action to get confidence, not the other way around. Right. I'm like, oh, now I have the confidence to apply to Omega or Esalen or any of these other places, Mount Madonna, any place where you need to pitch yourself. I now have confidence. It's like doing comedy once and killing. You then have confidence to go up again and again. And yeah, you might bomb once, but you remember that you're okay and you go back again. So if I got rejected from four other meditation retreat places, that's okay. I still have that one historical knowledge, historical example to go, oh, yeah, Kripalu likes you. Let's try for this other thing. You know, it's wild. This This is a business. 
Was you, that? You, it's, you oh, get yes. paid for this. You go in. You, how long are the courses when you do them? Um, uh, or did they most vary? Most workshops, the one I'm doing is three-day. At Kripalu, they do um, usually Sunday night through Friday morning or Friday night through Sunday morning. So ours, definitely the food and body image one is a three-dayer. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a curriculum and you do it with your friend who mm-hmm. has um, yoga and meditation yoga experience. Yoga and meditation. The things I excel in. And you've worked together like hand in a glove. Yeah, because we both have different skill sets. Mine's the written exercises. The storytelling is a huge part of it because no one's going to be able to feel like they can share their story if you don't share yours. So throughout the whole thing, I'm sharing about my food and body image struggles, and I'm very entertaining, so I know how to do that, which is why my storytelling events I really like because I'm actually able to make people laugh but still have a message right. and share who I was and am. So I love that I found somebody I get along with who has the exact opposite tools I have. So the two of you come to, with different skill sets. Yeah. You created a curriculum where you two work together hand in glove yeah. and cover the gamut of why the people are sitting in the room. Yeah. And so when people leave your experience that they've just had with you, Mm -hmm. they've been able to hear and get guidance from you in pretty much everything. Well, using like meditation, journaling, written exercises, group share, pair share, movement, story, like all these things that you go, we use all these tools for you to at least remember one or two. And the only promise is if you fully immerse yourself for those three days, you will have a little more peace around food and body image. So when people leave you, what is their what is the overwhelming emotional experience when they leave? They must be sad to say goodbye, right? Yeah, and usually like they, they keep in touch to you with, in those three well, days. What they right? do is they create like Facebook pages, like private Facebook groups with each other. And I mean, I have people then who approach us for coaching, you know, of our uh, like private coaching after that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is cool. I remember every workshop I went to, I kind of wanted it to last. And you just kind of create an exit plan for them. Hey, support each other. We'll mm-hmm. help support you. There's ways to make it work. But again, we don't go in there going, you're going to lose 20 pounds. It's not men about and that. women or mostly women? It's mostly women, but I like when there's guys there because every time there's been men, I've worried that there was going to be a lack of sharing by the women. Mm-hmm. There never is. I've had vulnerable men. I think that's the difference. No guy's going to sign up for this, this unless they're a vulnerable guy. I give another workshop called – she and I give one called um, When It's Time to Change because we both quit high-profile careers. She was a lawyer. We both quit high-profile ego careers to do this. So we're like, wait a minute. Why don't we like help people who, if they want to change something big like their career or their family life or their marriage or whatever? And we had a lot of guys for that one. Every guy, emotional, vulnerable. I said, boy, this is really a a real sign that men can be this way. I think that provides a lot of hope for the world. I mean, because I honestly always think it's good. men are that way. They just have to be comfortable enough to show that out loud. Well, I think my sort of predominantly, I'm a woman, but I have sort of a male point of view in a way where they're like, oh, she's cool. Like, she's one of the guys. I can talk to her. Right. But yet I'm discovering. Yeah, they feel safe having that conversation with you. Right. But yet what's weird is I'm discovering this girly side of me that I sort of always pushed away because I felt unsafe and I started ballroom dancing. And um, I want to do that. I literally go five days a week because I cannot stop. I, I found a place in L.A. this week. You because did? I, oh, I was like, I can't stop for a week. I love this. And I've never liked to move. I've never liked looking a guy in the eyes. I've always felt intimidated. I always felt vulnerable. And I'm like, this is Oh, I want to do that. Well, you'll have to tell oh me. Oh my God, you will love it. So you came here to LA to to be here for this week while you're doing what you're doing here, yeah. and you found and a place. And I said I cannot. And do you go in? Do they need? Do you have to take a partner with you, or do they give oh, you no, a no, partner? No. Either. So what I do is my guy at home, who I take from, I take five days a week from this guy Marco at Fred Astaire. He's phenomenal. So initially, it was for a dance charity dance contest, and I was like, "Look, I am intent on winning this thing." So I went in with the stupid <laughs> attitude. By the end, my shrink was like. Guess what you did? You now look a man in the eyes who's straight. You get dressed up. You have dresses. You get spray tans. You're girly. You have wigs. You put on makeup. <laughs> she goes, you're discovering that part of you that you had hidden. Wow. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cute. And so are I'm you like, good at oh. it? We won the contest. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I've got to tell you. That's unbelievable. I'm the type though who I have to practice so much to be half decent. But it's so much fun. I don't care. Do they play big band music from the 40s and 50s? Well, what I like to do is I wanted, to be honest, 
I had picked out a dance that just, it was from Dancing with the Stars, so I knew it was going to be super hard for a beginner. I didn't pick it out for that reason. It was a song I had seen on Dancing with the Stars that Derek Huff um, did. And I said, that hits me in the heart. It's so sweet. It's very elegant and girly. I said, okay, Lisa, you're learning that. So my teacher, I bring it in and he goes, you cannot do that for the dance contest. It's too difficult. It's gold level. I go, yeah, so guess what? I'm gonna I said, <laughs> I'm doing it. And we freaking did it. gold level. It was so hard. Wow. So it's Foxtrot. Yeah, this but is I think, hard to dance. This is really, this is physical. Yeah, but it took exertion. me so much. It took me, I think, 40 lessons. Wow. So I said to myself, you know what? I think I wanted to prove I was elegant. And I think because my father was such a good ballroom dancer, I wanted him to know that I wasn't such a battle axe. Wow. There was something besides battle axe to me. And I think he was proud of me in his own way. And you have to wear those shoes, those bottoms. Oh, my God. I love them so much. Oh, my God. I know. I can't believe I'm that person. That's unbelievable. So now with the swing, we do swing, cha-cha, salsa, and jive and hustle just because it's fun and dumb. And you know how to do all those dance Oh, I'm learning. I'm learning. Oh, my God. I don't know a lot. That's the coolest. So you came here for a week and you went. And I said, I got to find a place to do it. I I Googled dance studios. So you have an addiction to this. I love that. Because I've never liked movement. I found it very threatening and scary. I think I had a psychological block about if I go to a gym, I'm going to be looked at and I'm scared. And I think I had a childhood incident where my mother dropped me off to play tennis with somebody and I felt, um, oh my God, where's my ride? I felt abandoned. Yeah. So I always had this fear. And I go, with the dance, I'm in control of my car. I drive there. I can leave. And now it became okay. I don't have the block anymore. So when you go to a place in LA that you've never been to before, you call up, you go blah blah blah. Yeah, I go. I want up, private lessons. Classes. Yep. Give me your private. So there's somebody there. Yeah. Do you dance with a woman or a man? Either or one. I mean, I, they usually some give of you the a guy. women are probably easier to learn from. Well, I actually have to do a dance <laughs> for a play I'm doing, and the only girl at my studio in Connecticut, the only person at my studio in Connecticut who knows that style of dance is a woman. It's called the Blues Waltz, which does is she put, Does she dance in the man's position? Yeah. So she'll teach me So she's me that. leading. Yeah. I laugh because I go, hey, Ashley, it's me and you. I love that. But I'm getting – it's almost like the therapy's working in hand with the dancing, the whole vulnerability stuff. And yet also it's just so fun. Like I laugh. I said to my teacher – in Connecticut, Marco, I go, dude, I go, do people walk in here sad and leave happy? He goes, constantly. Yeah. And I go, because sometimes I'll be driving. It's the only thing that's ever gotten me up in the morning that I'm happy to get up. And I drive there and I'm in such a, I'm in like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I'm going to do that. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm, you'll tell me where to go. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I've always wanted to do it. Okay. So yeah. okay, let's keep going. Sure. So you did that. You decided mm-hmm. to hang up your shingle. Mm-hmm. And you work, and then you have these amazing workshops, which people are going to and paying yeah. you money, and you're getting great gratification. You're probably making new friends because some of those yeah. people, I'm sure, are people that you stay in touch with. Mm-hmm. And now you have a podcast. Yeah, so I'm let's psyched. talk about your podcast. Yeah, again, you know, let that Lisa was help. One, yeah, let Lisa name. help on podcast one. And I think what's great about that is it's a way of going. I have a voice. I'm worth listening to, even if it's not. Hey, insulting people. Hey, I'm funny. It is funny and amusing and entertaining. Well, you're funny. Yeah, you can't kind you know, of like go, just a oh, light I'm going to ch- turn you know, myself into the spirituality. Yeah, no, no, no. I'll never talk like that. But then it's like, you know, you're okay. You're a light, entertaining, interesting, smart person. So I would oh, thanks. It's true. And and then with advice and sort of – um, But it, how do, it's you, almost who like, do you talk to? I talk to a lot of comics, actors, podcast hosts, spirituality people. Mm-hmm. Like it really runs the gambit. And – Oh, gambit, gamut. gamut. Um, see me, English major. And I go, well, this is pretty cool. Everybody's got some work they're doing on themselves. Even all the comics I had on, there's very few I had on, but they're really open about their issues. I think people are more willing than ever to talk about what's going on with them instead of hiding it. Um, some people are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think more comics than ever only because they're starting to see through some comedians that the real the way to really get through to people is by really telling the full story. Yeah. Which is nice. So yeah, I'm I happy. I always it's thought that happening. the uh, the the mantra that I use in my life when I was younger, and I live it to this day, was I woke up one morning and I decided that whatever was the story I was telling myself was wasn't a story I liked. So I made a decision to decide who I wanted to be, and then I became that person. 
Yeah. By, you know, slowly, systematically, you know, I worked through my stuff, whatever it was, you know, my father this, my mother this, my mother. And I just said, you know, I don't want to be that person. Right. I want to be a person where people want my company. Yeah. I want you to be around me because I want your company. I think that these are hard. I, I sound like I'm being lightheaded about it, but it was hard work oh, no, to that's decide huge. to become the person that I wanted to be. I wanted to be somebody that I liked. That I respected. That well, other, that's, you know, you know what I like about that is you're dissolving, which we, we use a lot in coaching, you're dissolving your own story that you told yourself that's about right. yourself. We could, for the rest of our lives, go around and find people who will hang out with us despite us saying, well, that's who I am. My mother raised me this yeah. way. Like, oh, I'm a victim. Yeah, and uh, such a bunch We'll of find bullshit. a bunch of yentas to hang out with. But do we want to? No. I'd rather be like, yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah. Right. You know what? Not 100% done with all that, but... Hey, at least I'm trying. Well, the the other thing I think that people need to do, and it sounds like you've done it amazingly well, is you like yourself. Kind of do. I don't Here's know. Here's an happened. idea. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not a murderer. I'm right. not a child rapist. I'm not a, a beater. I'm not a liar. I'm right. not a steal. I mean, look at all the things you're not, and then you get to like yourself. Yeah. And when, I think when you start to accept the fact that you can like yourself. Then all sorts of things to sort of fall into place. It's like a puzzle, you know, and you can yeah. start to see it. Maybe it's no wonder that the weight loss was kind of the beginning steps of that whole journey. Yeah, because what a step you took. You go, okay, I'm going to get weight loss surgery. I'm going to keep the weight off, and then I didn't have that to blame anymore for being nasty or this or that. And then go, if I could improve that, maybe I can improve this and this, and not use anger as much, and not use food as much, and not use you know, career to like hide behind. I'm like, oh, maybe I could just be me. But what was that like? I mean, what what led you to that step to have the weight loss surgery? How heavy were you? Um, I was 248. And what did you want to be? Oh, I never had it in mind. I should have said, the, the doctor said, go into tiny, this. Because you're tiny, so being 248, you were heavy. Yeah, I lost the- 107. So the doctor said to me, he goes, you know what? It'll stop when you're supposed to. This is what I love. I had almost a spiritual doctor too, where he was just like, don't worry about it. It'll stop at the weight you're supposed to be at. So I never really sweated where it ended. But the emotional side of stopping eating is just oh, it's the worst. Hard. I still work on it. Well, that's why I do the workshops to reinforce it in me too. To go, oh, you overate. You ate a little too much that day. That's okay. Self forgiveness. Tomorrow's different. The next meal is different. We could start over every meal. That's the great thing about being a food addict instead of an alcoholic. You could start over two hours later. These alcoholics, <laughs> poor things, they have to wait the whole next day to go to a meeting. Right. So I said, oh, my God, okay, I don't have to do anything black and white. It's not about diet. And if I'm not perfect, I'm an idiot. It's, okay, I noticed that I ate out of emotion. So was that another one of the decisions that you made, like when we were talking about you stopping doing comedy, that you just woke up and said- I, Oh, with the uh, surgery? Yeah. Did you wake it up one morning and It never dawned say, on me that it was even a thing. Until one day, I was married at the time, and my ex-husband said, oh, I met Albert Manzo. He was the husband of one of the real housewives of New Jersey. And he said, he got a lap band. And I I don't know. Of course, we all hear these different words, right? But I was ready to hear it. And I go, what the F? After I do Celebrity Apprentice, I'm having a lap band. So I do Celebrity Apprentice. I'm sick of being the fat girl because I tried every diet, every exercise plan, and I had a clean slate. I had a fully moral inventory that I'm allowed to do surgery because I've tried everything. I go to the doctor. He goes, you will kill me if I give you a lap band because women your age don't lose weight from it. But there's this surgery called the gastric sleeve where they remove 85% of your stomach. So you have to eat small meals the rest of your life. I said, sign me up. So he did it. And I'm like, wow. Before he even did it, I said, I got to start working on why I gain it back. So I have to do the emotional work first. So I start working on how to not eat over emotions and not fill the hole with food. And so that's been the journey. So ever since I got the weight loss surgery, I still every day work on, am I truly hungry? Am I hungry for food? (laughs) And I am. I mean, I'm working on it and I will till the day I die. It's okay. When you go in and have a surgery like that, what's the recovery from that? Oh, that one, thank goodness, they make you walk within like hours of it. I mean, it's laparoscopic. But all of a sudden, you had a tiny little stomach. Oh, my God. Dude, you had to two change. weeks of nothing but clear liquids and not even fun liquids, not 
vodka, gin, nothing. No, none of that. Water, broth, Damn. and Gatorade. No Gandhi, <laughs> Gandhi couldn't stick to this freaking diet. So it's two weeks of nothing and then the two weeks and I, you're so looking forward to a yogurt or a liquid yogurt. My esophagus, there was, I was so stressed out about food, nothing would go down. I'm freaking out. And I call my doctor. God bless him. He answers his cell phone and I go, I'm crying. I go, I can't get any food down. He goes, please just relax. Breathe. <laughs> Sorry, that's not part of my MO, Right? <laughs> and suddenly the protein starts going down. I said, okay, okay. So two weeks of liquid so things So you like, lost like 30 or 40 pounds just in that alone. Yeah. you hadn't eaten then, anything in yeah, two weeks or And I lost 90 pounds within nine months or 100 pounds in nine months. Wow. And then was the whole thing of like, enjoy it for a little while, continue the emotional work and monitor it. So I weigh myself once a week. I have a friend who I have an accountability plan with once a week that we call each other and say, okay, how was it for you? Did you eat out of emotion? Did she have the same kind of surgery? No, she just lost weight naturally. Mm -hmm. And we just like help each other through. Wow. But it's just a way to be accountable, but not beat ourselves right, up. Right. So people need to have that fine line with anything of not beating themselves up, but not letting themselves off the hook. So I know this seems like a silly question, but what did you do about clothes? Oh my God, it was the best. Guess what happened? I was smart enough. I was such a saver that I had saved every single clothes in every single size for oh my, my 30 God, years. Look at you. I love that. And every week. So I go to Goodwill and not, excuse me, Goodwill. I go to my storage place and I have tons of sizes, probably 10 different sizes. And as I lose the weight, I'm wearing the clothes, but every week they're getting too big and I give to Goodwill. Oh, it was the best. Oh my God. So do you know, I never had to buy clothes till the end. That's amazing. See, that's what you get for being a saver, that's people. Amazing. Yeah. Do either of your siblings have a weight issue? Yeah, my sister does, but she's been, see, I didn't gain weight till I was 18. So it was more of an emotional thing. My sister's has always been bigger and she is so much like, I don't know, I admire like she doesn't sweat it. She doesn't right. have, she has this self-love that right. I don't know where she got it. I am what I am. Boy, and my brother, he'll gain a little weight, then lose it and then stay the same. They don't have that sort of emotional tie to it that I have. I think Look I just. you. You're really amazing. Look at all wow. the things you've looked at in your life. I got to keep looking because I figure like, okay, I, my next thing you is. You got 30 good years left. Yeah. I was going to say my next thing is really looking at my fear of a relationship and why I feel like I always attract the junk food of men and why I always... Well, you got married twice. Yep. And I always feel like I, I engage with people who I try to fix and then I hate them for being unfixable. Right. And it's not their fault. Right. I say the women now, because I've done it so much myself, quit dating the guy and then hate him for acting like he is. Like he is, like he was when you met him. Right. And, and I you, do that all the time. Yeah. So what's good is through dancing and the right therapy, finally, it's like, oh, figure out how to just be a friend and be vulnerable and see what happens. Right. So who knows? Right. It's hard. Oh, my God. I have so many single girlfriends. I have a bunch of single girlfriends that are super high profile. And I, so mm -hmm. I'll tell you off the air who yeah. they are, but not on the air. But one of them is so famous mm -hmm. and she's dying to be with a guy. Yeah. And she meets a guy. There's a, there's an app called Talkify. Oh, yeah. Do you know this one? No, no, no. Oh, no, a different one. Oh, my you God. You mean the celebrity one? You know, I'm thinking it's kind of celebrity for and high-profile people mm -hmm. that may not be recognizable. Yeah. But it's T-A-W-K-I-F-Y. Okay. Talkify. And they go through a, a, an actual process. Good. To help you find an appropriate person. Right. So this girl goes out with this guy and they say in the whole process that you're not supposed to be annoying about somebody that you're sitting across who wouldn't like you. Every, any, everybody would know you. Right. So if you show up at the day, so the guy says mm -hmm. to her, okay, I know I'm not supposed to say oh, this. They but always say it though. Am I really supposed to pretend that I don't know who you are? That's what he said. And it was very funny and <laughs> very cute. endearing. And now they're dating. But Aww. he was honest about it. He goes, I can't sit here across the table from you and pretend that I don't know who you that's are. That's ridiculous. Because yeah. that's just stupid. I mean, you're on the on the TV every day. Right. So I can't, <gasps> I, I have to tell you the truth. Yes, I know who you are. Now right. that I know who you are, I also like you. Aww. And this is who I am. And now they're dating. Yeah, like how you really can't say hold back on that. No, it was like, I said to her, I said, of course it's going to know you. Yeah. 
Well, the yeah. thing is, too, and you, you know, you go if you if of course they're going to know you. Maybe no, I'm lucky. Know. I don't really get recognized that much anymore, which is great. All you have neither to do one is start I, talking, I, and people ah, know. That's right true. Away they open are. the mouth. Yeah. What's funny when you said she, you know, you have a, a some female friends who want a boyfriend. I think part of my problem is I, I don't want one. I don't think I'm at the stage where I want one because I think for years I had had such back to back serial relationships. So I was a serial monogamist. I never had those alone years. And now I love it so much, but I don't want to get to the point where I stay single for the wrong reason out of fear. So I want to go, okay, Lisa, stay open. But again, with anything, it all worked out when I stayed open career-wise, friend-wise, every other area, physically with the dancing and the surgery. I would just work on you and stay open. You're like a renaissance woman. I mean, you've changed everything in your life. Hey, look, I was a mess, so I had to change everything. You everything. <laughs> look at you. And that's absolutely remarkable, the, the bravery that it takes to do that. It's literally like jumping off a cliff because you had settled into who you were, yeah. who you you wanted to not be that person, and you decided to be somebody different. Yeah, I think you got to just go, yeah. are you comfortable with the pain, like they say in Wilson that's right. Phillips, you know? That's my mother always used to say that. Yeah. You know, in order to heal, you have to look at the pain. Yeah. And then you get to find a way through that, and, and look what you're doing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm yeah. so happy to oh, have met you. I, me too. I, I want to be careful of your time here, oh. but I do want to say, yes. if I may, I want to go back and talk about... About the fact that we have this fantastic podcast. Oh, thank you. Which is Let Lisa Help. Yes. And uh, you're on Podcast One. Yes, premiere June 5th. So tell me the format of your, so our listeners understand, do people call you on the podcast? Do you bring people in? How do you do it? What I do is I have a guest co-host who's usually kind of a famous name or a famous in their own circles, um, comedy, actor, podcast presenter, um, different different walks of life, spirituality, et cetera. And we talk about their issues, try to work on them, try to work on me and really get something out of it for ourselves and for other people going through the same stuff. So we really put it out there. So you have genuine conversations with people who oh, have yeah. genuine stories. Oh, yeah. Like I had someone come in who she was so vulnerable. She was like, OK, I have three issues. And they were all huge. One was I take everything personally. I love being a stepmom, but I've had five miscarriages. And I have, um, and she had one other issue too. I forgot what it was. And I'm like, oh my God, we could spend hours with her. But isn't that vulnerable and great for someone yeah. who's known to do that? And I'm like, this is cool. So every single person comes with their big issue. So we do that first for about a half hour. It's really interesting. One of my guests I like so much, we had him come back twice because I was like, okay, this guy has a <laughs> lot of stuff going on and I love it because he'll be so sometimes, open yeah, about it. Sometimes you just can't get done in one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we uh, take letters from people who have either called into my hotline or who have sent me emails about their issues and we try to help them. And then I have my clients call in and tell me what we've worked on, that they have enjoyed, what they haven't enjoyed, what I could do differently and how I could help more. Because, again, I'm not perfect. I know that more no, than anybody. None of us are. And it's, it's pretty cool because it's pretty open. And well, I, like I want that. all my listeners to listen Aww. to you. So please go on to Podcast One and listen to Let Lisa Help and let her help you. Yeah. And also, you know? if you have a problem, email me, lampanellilisa at gmail.com. I absolutely will help you on the air or with coaching or workshops or whatever. And go to lisalampanelli.com for all my uh, performances and workshops. You are the, uh, and I'm sure that everybody that listens to this will know this, but being in your presence, you're so genuine. Oh, thank and you. And so straightforward that I imagine that everybody that would come, they would be open to letting you help them because you're not scary. Oh, thanks. You know, you're not. You're not, so nice. Well, I thought my, I love some that. of my, uh, this was so funny. Some of my initial coaching clients were like, oh my God, is it going to be like tough love? Are you going to yell at me? And I'm like, not if you don't make me. But no, I, I think that's one thing one of the people brought up on the air. One of my clients said, I was surprised when I, you talked to me. I was like, is this really you? Because you're super gentle. And I'm like, yeah, because honestly, we're not going to get anywhere because we get yelled at. You can make that temporary change if you get yelled at. But if you're just kind of working through your issues with somebody who's leading you through in a gentle way, you're going to get a lot farther permanently. And so I'd like it. A, a perfect example of somebody that said, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. But I want to do this now. Yeah. And everybody should know in your life that it's okay to make a change and to change direction. Oh, and God, to find, yes. But you must make a change in a direction to give you something that fulfills you. Right. And That's really, it. life's too short and it's actually too long 
to have you looking at that calendar and going, ugh. Yeah. Because I never look at my calendar and say, ugh, anymore. And if I do, it's a sign that I should just gracefully bow out. I couldn't agree with you more. Yay, thank you for having me. Next time, you're going to meet Daisy Lang, a girl who made history in the world of boxing. She was the first Bulgarian world champion and one of the pioneers in women's professional boxing in Europe. She was European champion twice and won three world titles in three different weight classes. Her success in sports made her a popular guest on many TV shows in various countries and a frequent subject of German and other international magazine articles. After a successful decade in the sports world in Europe, Daisy relocated to Los Angeles to concentrate on her acting career, and business. In 2007, she became a member of SAG-AFTRA and has been working in action roles in films and commercials since. Daisy was also a physical therapist who used her experience as a world-class athlete and her knowledge of the medical field to promote boxing as a way to stay in physical and mental shape. She has been a regular guest speaker for the Rotary Club and supported women in boxing as the world expert. So join us when we rewind to the beginning and find out what it was about boxing that hit home with Daisy Lang on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 